Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we are working through Galatians. And we were... Last time we talked about chapter 2. So we start off chapter 1. Paul makes a point that it is... He makes a defense for his own gospel. He says this law, this combination of law and Jesus is not the real gospel. He then defends his own authority. And last week we talked about how the Jewish Christians, they know that the law does not justify. So if you know something about the law, you know something about its problems, which likely these Gentiles don't really understand. And he points out a couple of stories where one could, one could understand why people would be confused on this. James, it sounds like, in a certain sense, that James may support circumcision. It does not, right? People come from James, and that's when Peter withdraws himself. He goes to James, finds out, nope, James is on the same page as I am. Gives him the right hand of fellowship. And then he tells the situation about Peter. And we talked about how that Peter, what Peter did by withdrawing himself from the Gentiles would have been enormously hurtful for people who were there. And then we talked about how when Paul talks about he is worried about running in vain, what is he doubting? And I think he's doubting that he's trying to bring in the Gentiles to be a single church of both Jews and Gentiles. And he's doubting whether or not the people on the other side, on the Jewish side, support him in that mission and finds out that actually they are on the same page. Somebody said it was like brushing with Oreos. All right. Any comments, questions, or thoughts you had about any of that that we talked about last week? All right. I'll take that as a no. So we will have, Brad's going to kick us off with a prayer. Holy God, our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word uh, that you preserved for us and to study it, meditate on it, and glean from it the truths that for us. Uh, we pray that, that you would give us wisdom and an open heart and open minds. Um, help us to um, put aside all of the presuppositions we have about uh, your truth and to read it afresh. Think about it and let, it, uh, let your spirit guide us and guide our thinking and to uh, shape our hearts so that we might not seek to be justified by law that we would rest in your grace and that we would show you our gratitude for your grace uh, through uh, living a life that honors and glorifies you. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, this group and, and be with us um, and lead our thoughts. And we promise in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul makes the point in Galatians, and in chapter 2 in particular, that our authentic identity is in Christ, and it is nothing else. And this is important because the circumcision party was trying to make their identity in something else as well, right? They added that extra element, and the law. And this is also important, if you think about this, make this make sense, because we go all the way back to the Gospels, there's a growing nationalistic identity that, that the Jews have, which in a certain sense is okay, except for the fact that it's, it's, gone, it's gone south because they really have lost their main mission. There's a video I want to play for you, and I, what I want you to see here is that, so it comes from Caitlin, former Bruce Jenner. And Jenner makes the point that identity is everything. Now, there's a, I actually agree with that part. Where I disagree is on the object of that identity. And, and watch this video because 
Jen was going to talk about talking to a preacher about this and, quote, talking to God, and is going to talk about what happens, when, what Jenner thinks about what's going to happen standing in front of God, and about the hope, but it's really not a hope. I mean, you can, you can watch Jenner's eyes. You can see this is, there's no hope here. And then we'll talk about it, because it's quite relevant to Galatians. This is, I hear the word hope, but this is not the same the way the New Testament talks about hope. And did you catch how many times Jenner mentioned about doing a good job? And see, this is the problem. All of us stand in front, and none of us have done a good job. That's the problem. This is not the gospel. This is the opposite of the gospel. And, and Jenner, one thing that Jenner gets so right is it's all about identity. I agree. But look at how Paul looks at it. He looks at it in a completely different way. In Galatians 2, verse 20, he brings up the identity, the idea of identity. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there's two parts. The first part is that I died. 
But gender makes it all about you have to be your authentic self. No, see, that's, that's, not, that, that's a focus on me. That's not where the focus should be. He says, you don't become your authentic self, Paul says. You die to your authentic self and you become somebody else authentic. And in the second part, I live... Okay, let's look how different Paul's answer is. I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God. And so the answer is, you did a good job, Paul. It's like, no, because he did a good job. It's a complete flip to this. And, you know, it's weird because if you... This whole idea of authenticity, you, you hear this, I don't know if you've heard this much, but I've heard it quite often. And I heard this guy named John McRae, he was talking about how he thought it was all about being authentic. And he was married, he was having some issues in his marriage because he would, tell, he would be authentic with his wife. He would tell her what he really thought. And a friend took him aside and said, here's, your, here's the thing, John. Sometimes your authentic self is kind of a jerk. And he thought about it, he's like... Yeah, you're not wrong. Right, so the, the thing is, is that our authentic self has to be something else. Right, I mean, Phil mentioned this about how people would be like, well, I'm just an angry man, that's just who I am. Wrong, be, become a different type of person. We know that in every other category. Nobody says, well, I'm just a racist, I should just stay a racist. No, no, that's not the point. We get it with that, why don't we get it with other things? All right, and I think this is relevant because a key aspect to Paul, Paul's argument, is about identity. It's about Jesus and what he has done and becoming more like him. All right, so what, what thoughts did you have? Or did you notice anything else in the video? All right, so, oh, yes, Brad. Uh, the, the word justification comes to mind. Like, this is just trying to justify what this person wants, right? And, again, we don't justify ourselves. God justified us through Christ. Um, so we don't have to go around justifying ourselves, and that's what's happening here. Right, yeah. Um, we all do that. I'm not saying that, <laughs> that uh, this is unique in the video. We all seek to justify ourselves by explaining the way what we want to do and trying to convince ourselves and everybody else. And that's what it looks like in us, too. It's just I agree. a little more blatant because we're on this side of the coin. Yeah, it's about we wind up justifying what we really wanted to believe the entire time. And it's funny because as you said that, I thought, well, it could be that Jenner is honestly confused. And I, I'll be Jenner's clearly confused on uh, several things here. But it might be that there's a certain sense where... Where Jenner thinks that becoming your authentic self is how you get saved. But the problem is, is that how do you, how do you disambiguate? Because we all know that we want things that we wind up very easily self-justifying. Even if our heart seems to be in the right place. And how, do, how do you disambiguate? You need somebody else to tell you, let me tell you what parts are you self-justifying and what parts are your, where your heart's actually in the right place. And it's, your heart's probably in a, not in the right place nearly as often as you think it is. Because like you said, this is not unusual. Uh, yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah, it's selfishness. Like, you, you go, and Paul says, I have been crucified. Right. <laughs> and when you talk about crucifying yourself, this does not sound like fun. But this is where we're supposed to go. And if we go our selfish way, we're not going to choose that. Uh, Daniel. We think when we say, you know, I hope I'm going to get into heaven, 
think we're being very humble in saying that, but that's actually a very practical thing to say. Okay, this is true. When I say, I hope that I can get in heaven, that's, that's a very prideful thing. Let me tell you, that is absolutely true. I remember hearing a talk where there was a Catholic priest, there was somebody, I think some sort of New Age religion, Eastern mysticism sort of thing, and then there was a person who, I want to say he went to some, some sort of evangelical you know, Baptist church, something like that. And they were having a discussion, and the, the guy asked, he said, do you think you're saved? And he went to each person. And the priest says, well, I hope that I'm saved, but he, he couldn't give a real strong answer. Then goes to the person in New Age, and he says, well, I hope that I'm saved, but couldn't really give a strong answer. Then he goes to the other person, and, and the person says, yes, I'm saved. And they looked at him in shock, and they're like, how arrogant of you to say that you think that you're going to be saved. And he said, you know, that's funny, because when I heard the two answers before me, I thought they were arrogant, because they thought they could stand in front of God with their own works and get in on their own credit. And he said, that's not how I think I'm going to be saved. You see, he had that flips. Like, it sounds very arrogant or narrow-minded to say that you know that you're going to be saved until you realize how you're going to be saved. I think I said, yes, John. Well, and that's, and that's an action, too, right? It's like, so what does it mean to live by faith? It's like, I live as if I have faith. <laughs> like that, that is how I live. So just, just this idea of, well, I, I hope I am or I'm going to do what I want, right? It's like, well, I'm, the way I'm living is as if I have faith. Right. Yeah, it's a good point, because when we say live by faith, well, other people use the exact same words, but with a totally different definition. Right? I live as if I have faith. It's one, one level of direction out. And can you imagine how demotivating it would be to say that you have to give everything to Jesus, so much so that you say, I'm crucified with him. And all you get back out of it is, well, I hope, maybe, kind of, I might be saved-ish. That doesn't sound very motivating, right? This is the problem with it. Like, I don't think you get real faithfulness with that, with that attitude. I think I saw another. Yes, sir. He brings it to a conclusion in the following verse, right? He talks about he doesn't set aside the grace of God. He talks about righteousness if it's by law and grace is in vain. So the idea, you know, you have to realize that law and grace are basically antithesis of each other. They oppose each other because to try to justify yourself by law, then you're saying grace is of no account. Right. And if I am justified by grace by God, and that's where my faith and my salvation is, then law is of no account. Exactly. It's very binary. By law or by grace. Choose one. And definitely choose the second one. It's way better. Yes, ma'am. So how does Judgment Day fit into all of this? How does, so the question was, how does Judgment Day fit into all of this? Okay. I don't... <laughs> you know, here's what's difficult. I think this is why... This is a good question. And maybe it's something we should take up later. Because that's a good point. Because Paul does talk about how we are judged by what we have done. And so there's, it's not like our works, in a certain sense, don't matter. But they don't matter. And they matter in a different way. Okay? So we have to kind of figure out and parse that out. That is a, that's a whole class right there. <laughs> so let, I'll actually, let me put, put a note down about that. And then Boyd can teach that class. <laughs> yes, Raven. Okay. 
point. Yeah, so two things here. There's no secrets. Okay, well, look, we, we can say the same thing. This is part of the thing about being under grace is you don't have to sit there and self-justify anymore. The thing about self-justification is it, it makes you lie, right? It's all a lie. And so you have, to, you have to try to convince yourself you're good enough. And so you wind up lying. That's just what happens. I mean, how many people have you taught? I mean, Raven, you and I have had these conversations where we're very open about the mistakes that we've made. And I mean, do you ever notice that like, a lot of Christians are like that? How many people do you know in the world who just tell you, oh man, let me tell you, I was messed up. And then I changed some things. And they don't end with them becoming a Christian. I have not seen that very often. I know that people do it. I'm just saying I don't see it very often. Because there's a certain purity when you know that these things are washed away that you can talk about. So that was me, but it's not anymore. Uh, and the second thing, yes, freedom here, freedom is flesh. And that's the problem. And this is where when Paul gets to the end, he, freedom here does not mean to fall into the flesh. And in fact, that's just a different type of slavery we're going to talk about. But that's for a future class. All right, I think I saw another hand raised. All right, so let's go ahead and read. We're going to read Galatians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 15, 15 through 21. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then one who encourages sin? Absolutely not. But if I build up those things that I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I'm the one who breaks God's law. For through the law I died to the law, so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So that the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. All right. Anything in the, what kind of things did you guys see that you thought were noteworthy or you had questions about? Yes, sir. It's interesting in, in verse 20, uh, the way your version reads versus the way other versions read when it says, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And yours says, I live by faith of the, of the Son of God. Right. And so Faithfulness of the Son of God. Faithfulness of the Son of God. So there's almost a difference. So one of them is the faith that I have in Christ. The other one is the faith that the Son of God had in giving his life for me. So I, it's, yeah. I just thought it was interesting the way you can, can look at that the way the two verses are reading. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this. Did you see the difference there? One is, is it talking about my faith to Christ or is it talking about Christ's faith to God? Right? Do you see? There's a, there's a distinction there. I saw David. Did you have your hand raised? Yeah, because I noticed the same thing in verse 16. That uh, the New American Standard Version says, but through faith in Christ Jesus. What you read says, but by the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. And, and I, I agree with Mike. There's a difference there. There is. And I think it's an important difference. It's the difference between, in Greek, the objective genitive and the subjective genitive. Okay, so. Here's the thing where, yeah, I know, I just totally greeked out. Not geeked out, greeked out. The, 
here's the thing, either is a good rendering of the Greek. So the subjective genitive and the objective genitive, one of, that's really the difference we're talking about here. And you can go back and read the Greek, it doesn't actually help you much. You have to use context to figure out the answer. So we actually have a question in the book to talk about this. So it was not on my agenda, but let's talk about that one. So what, do you, what are, let's just start off with, what are the differences, do you think, between the two, the two examples, the two translations here? Yes, right. Okay, so then it would be focusing on what Christ did by fulfilling the law on our behalf. So that would be one. What about the other one? Okay. Exactly. So the other one would be the faith that we have. So it's focusing on our part in a certain sense. Here's the hard thing about it. Both of them, if you look at the New Testament. Both are true. We, we know that both are true. Okay, so you could prove either one. And that's what makes this hard, because if, it was, if one of the options was clearly unbiblical, we could just say, well, it's clearly not that. It must be the opposite. But since they're both true, which one do you think would fit the, fit the book of Galatians better? Faithfulness of Christ? Why would you say that? Okay, so, yeah, it's, one case would be, exactly, it, could, it seems to be more focused on the faithfulness of Christ because the context seems to be more focused on what Christ has done versus our side, the faith that we have. Brad. And if you look at the end of chapter 2, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So it is the fact that Christ died. His faithfulness to God in his death that we that, that is necessary for us to have hope, right? And to for us to have salvation. So that may be that's one thing maybe yeah. in favor of that in the context. Good point. Yeah, you don't even have to go out to the rest of Galatians to the context. Your point verse twenty one is does immediately right after this is talking about what Christ had done. Yes, Sarah. Okay, so that's the other side. So I want to get, the best way to do this is when you take both sides and you make a big table and you fill out pros and cons on both sides. And this is, so Sarah's point is a good one because it's also going to talk about the sort of faithfulness that people like Abraham had. It makes a really big deal about how that's a prototype for the faith that we have. So clearly that argument is in Galatians as well, not just in the New Testament, specifically in Galatians too. Yes, John.
Okay, good point. Yeah, verse 20, he talks about the life I lived in the flesh or in the body, depending on your translation. And then he talks about how I live because of the faithfulness of Jesus, which if, if you mean physical existence on this planet, well, would, you'd almost have to apply that to everybody, except for we know that that's not true for everybody. Yeah, good point. I had thought about that. That's a really good point. That's in the immediate, right in that sentence, as a matter of fact. Yes, ma'am. Not anymore. <laughs> so what we know is Rissa has heard nothing of the last five minutes of class. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, and really the arguments we just made, if you look at the way modern translations, modern translations tend to have flipped to the faithfulness of Jesus. They've actually flipped to that argument. Uh, again, both are, like I said, but both, are new, or both are true. But there's a tendency to do it for all the reasons we just stated on the other side. And they'll just look at the, they're just looking at the context. Again, you can know the Greek. You can read a second-year Greek grammar. Uh, it, it's not going to help you that much. It's context that winds up changing it. Yes, Logan? What translation? NET, New English Translation, which is newer. All right. Anything else? Any that? Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah, and I like how you put it. If faith is not humbly accepted, right, then there is no salvation. And, that, and this is a key aspect, too, because to accept faith also says something about the type of person who's willing to accept that faith. And this goes back to you read Matthew 5. Jesus starts off the sermon, and it seems really kind of weird when you really think about it, because he starts off, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. And you're like, what? What sermon starts like this? It starts off with these attributes. And you're like, how does this fit? But then again, that person who recognizes their need for God and that they can't fix this themselves, that humility, results in a very different type of believer. Right, you, yeah, you, you, don't, you stop the self-justifying. Yeah, good point. Exactly. All right, so... Anything else on, on anything you guys saw? I was going to bring this up because this goes to a question Jill had asked about pronouns. And she was asking this because in the book of Romans, pronouns, Paul will say we and he means the Jews. And then he'll say you and he means the Gentiles. And when you see those pronouns, you can actually start to split the text up and see who he's talking about. And I, I had put this question in the book. I had a much more limited focus, which is specifically here in verse 15. But I thought, I'll just expand this into her question. So her question was, does Paul do something similar to Romans in Galatians? And so I, took, I went through all the pronouns in Galatians to try to see. And the answer was, it doesn't seem like he uses them quite the same way he does in Romans, where it's this very clear, you know, distinguished groups. And I think the reason is, is that in Romans, it's almost like it's Professor Paul who's sitting back, taking a look at the big picture, and says, okay, we've got the Jews up here, and we've got the Gentiles here, and let me tell you the big story, how it all comes together. And this almost feels less like Professor Paul looking at the abstract groups trying to work it all out, and more of scared for the Galatians Paul, who's just going fast through this text very quickly. So I, 
I didn't see as much like I would. I don't think I ever would have, would have looked through Galatians and seen that he uses these pronouns in a very clear way. The exception is maybe here in chapter 2, verse 15. And the reason I put this in the book was I was like, is he trying to talk about the abstract group, the Jews? Or is he talking about Jewish Christians? Or is he talking about specifically the people he just talked about? Peter, James, John, and the other apostles. And so, yeah, it, it didn't seem to pan out to me to be as clear as it was in Romans. Any questions or comments about that? Yes, sir. Yeah, good point. Okay, so if you look in the translation, some translations when he says, uh, what verse was that? 15. 15. Oh, duh. <laughs> it's on the slides. Okay. Uh, 2.15. Yeah, so if you look at 2.15, he says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile. And some of your translations will have Gentile sinners, and I'll put it in quotes. And the reason for that is that, so Greek, first of all, doesn't have quote marks like that. So that would be that the translators are adding something to try to make, help you make more sense out of it. The question would be is if Greek had quotes, would Paul stick them in? The distinction is that if he's saying it's Gentile sinners, it's kind of like saying, listen, that's how they talk about you as sinners. I'm not saying you're Gentile sinners. That's just how they talk about it. And the reason for that is that it seems to me in the context that he's talking about two different groups. And the groups are not... Gentile sinners and Gentiles believers, he's talking about Gentiles who are sinners by virtue of being Gentiles, and the other group is Jews. And so if that's what he's talking about, so people are saying, oh, you know, you guys are Gentiles, well, you basically have to become a Jew, because as long as you're a Gentile, you're in the group called the sinners, right? You're a sinner by virtue of being a Gentile, which is why circumcision is important, because circumcision is the thing that marks you out as a Jew. If you go back and you read Josephus, he makes frequent reference to circumcision, and he says, when you get circumcised, you become a Jew. That's, that's the boundary marker that brings you in the in-group of you're the Jews. Yes, John. What verse was that again? Ephesians 2? Yeah, 2.11, okay. Yeah, and see, exactly. He does this elsewhere. Therefore, remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, so that by the so-called circumcision, that is performed on the body by human hands. Right. It's like we have these descriptions of them. Is this just a description that people are using, or is he, is he actually saying that this is true for you? And you remember, throughout this, we, we have that phrase, found to be sinners, right? And Paul's talking about how like, I became like you, and that he has given up on um, the... Jew and Gentile distinctions, right? So you Gentiles should give up on the Jew and Gentile distinctions, right? Stay how, as you have been in a certain sense. Yes, ma'am. Christians ain't not Christians. 
or, or Christians who are trying to convince them that they still need to, to keep the law. And so when he talks to them about that, he, he goes on to finish with, we can't be justified by law. So it, it, that actually kind of comes back around and hits them in the face. And, you know, you're saying they're sinners for not keeping the law. I'm telling you, you are from trying to be justified by the law. Yeah. So it just kind of comes around in a circle and meets itself because of who he's teaching and what he's trying to teach about. Good point. Yeah, you got to remember there's an opponent here. So you could easily see the phrase Gentile sinners being tossed out by the opponent. So he may be adopting that phrase to be like, and then to your point, notice how he flips it on its head. It's like, oh, oh, so you have some people who live according to law. Let's judge you according to the law, right? It's like, let's do this, okay? Well, if you go and do that, Paul says in here, there is nothing to go back to. He says, if I go back to the law, here's the thing. You know what the law does? It says we're all sinners, so I can be out here and people say, well, you're a Gentile sinner. Okay, so I can go back and be a Torah observant sinner. <laughs> what, what does that solve? Right? I mean, we, did, I, we didn't keep that law. Right? So either way on that hand, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing to go back to. Yes, ma'am. Also, it sounds like they may have been battling with words because when he comes, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we're found to be sinners. That's a good point. Yeah. Raymond. Yeah, good point. And this is where context is really key. Remember, this is right after the Peter incident. Why did Peter withdraw himself from these Gentiles? Well, of course, we know. It was fear. Okay. Well, then what did the circumcision party believe? Well, the most logical argument was cavorting with Gentiles, Jews cavorting with Gentiles, was a sin, right? So, I mean, that, that just seems to be logically 
follow. And why would they think that converting with Gentiles was wrong? Because Gentiles were associated with sin, which was, hey, listen, it's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just like you pointed out, it's also just true for everybody is the problem. Uh, I think we had another hand raised. Yes, Mitch. So, I guess verse 17, I, I took a little bit differently than the way that Nina was um, explaining it. I, I read 17 as um, it kind of reminded me of when you're talking to someone about how they should be living or you've gone to them with uh, a sin that's in their life. And instead of them addressing that, they'll Okay, so that would be, if he's saying that in verse 17, it's like, okay, so I'm not the focus, even if I did wrong, irrelevant, because I'm not the standard, which goes see prior passage where I said, even if I taught you something wrong, you shouldn't listen to me. And then fits, that would fit in to verse 20 when he's talking about, okay, Christ is the standard. Yeah, we, we call this, you ever heard, I mean, we've all heard this, where you talk to somebody, it's like, well, but you have done this sort of thing too. You know what we call that? Condemnation engineering. This is when people take somebody's flaws and they think that somehow somebody else having flaws justifies them. This is another form of self-justification. It never works. It's totally illogical. Like, it seems so obvious and everybody uses it, but it's totally illogical. You go to somebody and you say, so you talk about the gospel and you talk about how we've all sinned and fallen short. And they'll say, well, but nobody's perfect. Okay, so why does a statement about how everybody else has everybody has fallen mean that you haven't? It doesn't make any sense. It's completely illogical. But for some reason, we think this works in our favor. It completely doesn't. Yeah, good point. All right. I think I saw another hand. Okay. Yes. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, we think we can just treat the standard as a sliding on a scale. And so, but of course, we never really think this through because then if, that's, if there's a sliding scale, what's it, what is that scale exactly? Do I have to beat 50%? Do I have to be the top 90%, right? It's, if you ever actually want to have some fun, try to imagine a way in which you could be justified by a series of rules, okay, justified by law in a certain sense. I mean, the generic sense, not just the Torah. Think of a way in which you could be justified by law and it's anything less than you being perfect. It's actually really hard. Because if you say, well, you'd have to be generally good. Okay, so that means most of the time good, right? Okay, first of all, we still have to define what good means in this, so that, that takes some work. 
But think about this. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. Somebody goes to court and they murdered somebody. It took five seconds to commit murder. Here's not a good defense. Well, I'm mostly not a murderer. Nobody would say that. It makes no sense. If you commit a murder, that makes you a murderer. It doesn't take if it's five. Well, 99.99% of the time I'm not a murderer. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter, right? And if you do it on a sliding average, what, what average are we talking about? The average of current people living or all of mankind? How would you even know? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. The only thing, if you're going to be justified by law, it's 100% or it's nothing. I mean, it is, you're out. You're either in or you're out. I, actually, there's a sermon that Roy had me listen to, uh, a YouTube video. And the guy talks about how there's a person who has to jump across this, this cliff. And so the first guy, it's like a 20-foot, you know, let's say six foot, because that's more realistic, six-foot gap. First guy jumps, jumps three feet down the chasm. Next guy goes up, he runs up, he, he jumps five feet, barely misses. The next guy does 5.8 feet, almost makes it. Who died? Who fell down the cliff? All of them. <laughs> this is the problem. Well, I, 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 I almost made it. It doesn't matter. You're still dead at the bottom of the cliff. It doesn't matter. All right. What other questions or comments? Otherwise, we will move on. I was going to say we're behind on time, but actually we're not. We're pretty much right on schedule. Well, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on. No, All right. See you with it. Passages come to mind that often get thrown in that conversation about, you know, well, you sin is the log in the eye. And that yes. is, oh, well, you, you need to get the log out of your eye. As if I'm perfect until you get your problems taken care of. What's interesting about that is Jesus uses that for the receiver, never as a defense. You know, he, he doesn't give that to say, here's, here's what you say to somebody whenever they come to you to present something. You tell them about the log in there. He's talking <laughs> right. to you yeah. about the log in there. I 100% agree. And that's where I think that sermon, when I said condemnation engineering, I think Jesus is trying to cut out all of the justifications that we use. Right? I think the best way to understand the Sermon on the Mount is he opens with these attributes are things like, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, because if you're not at the beginning of the sermon, you will be by the end. Right? And he just goes through it, he just chops, he just guns everybody down in that audience. He goes through there and he's like, okay, so you want to congratulate yourself, all of you who have never committed adultery? Pat yourself on the back. Also, you've never committed lust, right? Well, there goes half the audience. And then he goes on. Okay, have you committed murder? Right? You want to give yourself a nice pat on the back. Yeah. Have you ever hated? And there goes the other half. And he just keeps going. And then he goes like, yeah, you know, the, the most righteous people, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees? Yeah, you got to be better than them. And you're thinking, what, do you think we have to be perfect? And then he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is a complete takedown of everybody. And then if you keep reading, he just does the takedown of all of our arguments. Well, well, hold on. You know, how many times do you have people who, it's like, okay, I know what the law says, but, oh man, they've got justification. They've got all sorts of weird stuff like, I know I have to love my neighbor as myself. Yes, Jesus, but what do you mean by neighbor? That's just, that's what, and Jesus mentions that, how people who try to bring the bar down and teach others to do so, they are not right. This is what he's, he's trying to cut out that. And then you get the people like, well, I got this, uh, but, but what about them? Okay, why don't you talk about them? Once you get yourself perfect, you get all that stuff out of your eye, then you can go talk about them. But this doesn't work. It's just a takedown of all humanity. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Okay, so now we're not on schedule. But that's okay. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about nullifying God's grace. That's question seven. Oh, actually, let's go through this, because I had a bunch of verses about how, when, when I, Paul's talking about why would I, how would he be proven a transgressor if he goes back to the law and tries to rebuild it? The reason I think is that if you look through how Paul thinks about the law, he says, here's what the law does. The law just convicts you of sin. Right? So what I mean by there's nothing to go back to. I can go back to that, and all I'll prove is I'm still a sinner. So, I mean, it's rocking a hard place. Romans 3.20, he says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And Romans 7.7, 7, he says, I wouldn't have even known sin except for the law, which is the whole point of the law. I, so he just goes on and on and on about this. And he says, the, the best one on here, I think, is 1 Corinthians 15.56, because the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay, we're going to get into the curse clauses at one point of, in the Old Testament on how this applies to the way Paul thinks about the law. And the law basically says... You do the law and you get all these nice rewards. Yeah, you get all these things. But if you don't, you get this punishment. And the law goes through them. It gives this long list of exactly what that means. The power of sin is the law. If that's the punishment for violating the law, that's all you got to look for. And that's the bell. Wow, okay. So, uh, I guess we're going to end on... You know what? I'm going to skip that one now. I want to talk about the concept of shared meals. So if you go through Acts, and we're not going to do this in this class. If you go through Acts 10 and 11, I'll just give you a quick summary. Acts chapter 10. Peter gets a vision. And the vision has this sheep come down with all these animals. And he's told, rise and kill and eat. Peter's like, no, 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 no. I don't do that. Right? That's against the law. He goes back up. Comes back down. Peter, rise, kill and eat. Okay. Peter takes a little time to kind of get up to speed here. He's like, no, no, no. Goes back up. Third time. Peter, rise, kill and eat. Okay. So it has something to do about food, okay? Kill and eat. And he says, no, 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 I have nothing common and unclean has touched my lips. It's food. It's about food. Except the fact that it's not. Because the big picture story is not just about food. It's the bigger picture about where the Gentiles fit in, okay? So that's Acts chapter 10. And what you see after the fact is that he goes to Cornelius, a Gentile, and he preaches the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. Okay, this is a sign that, the Gen- that the, God is trying to move from the church being centered in Judaism out to the Gentile world. And the Gentiles get baptized. And immediately follows. Peter is those of the circum- Peter gets called to the map. He's like, hey, wait, what are you, what's going on here, Peter? You're hanging out with these Gentiles. What's going on? He says, no, 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 it's okay. He tells them what just happened. And the... So we'll skip some of the details here. But uh, he has to defend something. And it was being with the Gentiles. Okay, so the food laws are actually about the Gentiles. Well, what does Peter wind up doing? He winds up presumably eating with the Gentiles. He's actually living with them. And this is a bit of a shock, which is why Peter, I mean, this is, Peter's a big name. Peter's asked about that. You keep going, you get to Acts 15. And now the issue is heated up. So that happens. In Acts 11, it says that they glorified God that God was now going out with a mission to the Gentiles. Now men from Judea come preaching Gentile circumcision. Circumcision means you're becoming a Jew. So it basically means you Gentiles have got to become Jews. And Paul and Barnabas meet, they go to Jerusalem, and they're frustrated. And then they go and they tell the whole story about how Gentiles are being saved. And then it says the church sends a letter with Judas, with 
uh, it sends a letter. The letter is actually penned by James. And some people assume that's because James is a, a leader in the Jerusalem church, which does seem likely. Also, Josephus says that. But also it could be because people were claiming James' support. Right? James even says in that letter, he says, these people are troubling you and we didn't send them out. Right? So it could just be simply that the way to undercut this was to have the guy who people are claiming support from say, yeah, I didn't, I'm not behind this and send this out. Okay. How is the concept of shared meals important to Galatians? And I don't just mean taking the part from Acts, but we see in Galatians 2, right? Peter withdrew himself during a meal. How is this important? Yes, Raymond. Yeah, it's the concept of the shared meal that's important. It's not just about making sure that we consume proteins in the general vicinity of one another. There's a concept here. And I like how you put it because you brought in the Lord's Supper. How there's, there's a concept there as well where, the, where we're together with other people. In this case, together with Jesus. And so it's that same concept being applied throughout. Yeah, good point. What else? Yes, right. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Like the food laws, if you couldn't, based on the food laws, if you couldn't eat with Gentiles, that, that marks a pretty hard line between you and the Gentiles. John? That is so true. Yes, in school, you could always have, you knew the groups were. Like, they were the same groups that always ate, and you knew that you couldn't sit over there because you get in trouble. <laughs> Good point. All right. I guess that's a wrap. Thanks, y'all.